Well, good morning. Glad you guys could come and worship with us today and open God's Word together. You know, after you read a, or sing a song like that, Boldly I Approach the Throne, it's hard to believe uh, knowing that kind of grace and mercy and compassion and love exists that people would walk away from it. Um, but people do. And uh, if, if you're aware, maybe you've, you follow some of the news in the Christian realm and the Christian world, but there's some, some prominent leaders who recently have come out and denounced their faith. Um, I've talked to some of you, I know, to some extent about this, but uh, you know, it hits the news and then it kind of goes all over social media and wherever else. And so uh, just kind of to hit on some of those things, Joshua Harris, who wrote the book, um, he wrote the book, uh, I Kiss Stating Goodbye, like, I don't know, 20, 20 years ago or whatever it was when I was back uh, working with youth. And uh, he has recently, he became a pastor and, and so forth, but he recently uh, has come out and walked away from faith in Christ and has made that public. And then another guy just this week, Marty Sampson, who uh, if you guys are familiar with Hillsong, which we sing some of their songs here, and um, they've done a lot out there in the in the realm of Christian music, um, Marty Sampson is one of their lead singers, and he's recently come out, and he, he will not say he's completely denied the faith, but he has a lot of questions about the faith, and, uh, and so he is questioning it. So then, in response to that, a guy by the name of John Cooper, some of you, any Skillet fans in here? I'm not talking about the kind you cook with, just... Uh, <laughs> The band Skillet, okay, <clears throat> the band Skillet. So some of you, uh, if you're like my age, they were like coming out when maybe you were in high school or um, college, somewhere in there. So they're, they're an older band. A lot of people don't know that because they're still pretty up with uh, the times, I guess, somewhat, so to speak. Uh, but John Cooper is one that, that somebody look at and be like, uh, I don't know, could he really be a Christian? Um, and then he, when he sings, he shouts. Like, if you, have you ever, like, had somebody, when they're singing, they're just like, ah, all the time. You're like, how do they talk after that? Uh, well, somehow he does it, and he does an amazing job at it, and he even has, like, if you go to one of his concerts, there's fire and everything. I mean, it's just, he's, he's one of those kind of guys, but he's rock solid in his faith. And so he came out, and he actually challenged some of these people who are den- uh, denouncing their faith. And here's just some of the things I want to read to you about what he's saying. He says, my conclusion for the church, all of us Christians, okay, remember, he's, he's coming from a very successful um, background as far as music and so forth. So, but this is what he has to say. My conclusion for the church, all of us Christians, is we must stop making worship leaders and thought leaders or influence or cool people or relevant people the most influential people in Christendom. I thought that was uh, well put. And then he, he, he goes through and he talks about that a little bit more and how we oftentimes raise people up and put them on a pedestal that really shouldn't be put up on a pedestal. And then he kind of comes to this conclusion towards the end of his article. He says, It is time for the church to rediscover the preeminence of the Word and to value the teaching of the Word. We need to value truth over feeling, truth over emotion. And I found that kind of interesting because this concept is pretty emotional, but... Um, but he, he comes from truth, and I think that's what he's saying here. And what are we seeing, and what we're seeing now is the result of the church raising up influencers who do not supremely value truth, but who have led a generation who also do not believe in the supremacy of truth. And now those disavowed leaders are proudly still leading and influencing boldly away from the truth. 
thought that was well put. And uh, I applaud him for, for coming out, especially knowing that he's going to receive quite a bit of criticism for that. But it's well put. I think he's, he's true that we need to stick with God's word as truth. Um, so I don't know about you. I, I've never really been tempted to walk away from my faith in Christ. And maybe this is where people sometimes get confused a little bit. I have, I'll be honest, maybe you can say this way too, I have been tempted to walk away from the body of Christ. I, I don't, I'm not going to deny Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm not going to deny what He's done. I think that is just is true. But the sticky side. So you've got, you know, God who is gracious and loving and compassionate and merciful, and He's the righteous judge and all of that. And so we know that about who He is. But then you've got the messy side, and the messy side is the church, right? Which is you and I. Okay, so, so we can't just point fingers at everybody else and say, well, you're the big mess in this situation, right? We got to look at ourselves and realize, no, I'm a mess too. And so when you put a bunch of messy people together in a group, you get a bigger mess, <laughs> right? And so there are times when we want to walk away from the church, but that's the bride of Christ. And that's the thing I always have to challenge myself with because, you know, it, it is easy to look at what people do, what people say, how you feel, and go, well, I just maybe need to go a different direction. But the body of Christ, the church, is the bride of Christ. That's the way he paints the picture anyhow. And, and I was thinking through more of that. I just had my 20th anniversary this last week, so I was thinking through, you know, my relationship with my bride and how much... I love her and care for her, and that's that my love for her pales in comparison to God's love and Christ's love for the church. It really does. And I know that if someone were to say something about my wife or criticize my wife, I'd probably get pretty defensive. So what do you think God's response is when we criticize the church? Think about that. His bride. So we have people that are walking away, maybe from faith, maybe from the church, because they feel like they've been hurt or something like that. But the reality is it's His church, and He has blessed us to give us each other. And so there are a couple of points I just want to make from that. One is, uh, maybe you've heard about it, but uh, we're going to be doing um, a study on learning and living God's Word. It kind of ties in with what I was just talking about, that we need to have the truth in our lives more and more. And so uh, if you've seen something about that, you'll see a little bit more about it. But September 22nd, um, we're going to start that. And it's just going to be an evening study for about seven weeks where we're going to go through a book. And it's designed to help you be in God's Word more and study it and get some more truth from it. So I want to encourage you to think about that and just kind of give a plug for that. But also want to encourage you to think about this Psalm 103 and how it's helps us see the benefit we have of knowing Christ, knowing God, and being part of His church. And so if you're there already, great, Uh, but if not, you can go ahead and turn to Psalm 103, and we're going to take a look at the beneficial blessings we have. Now, as you look at what we've received from Christ, we have been blessed beyond measure. And we're going to take a look at some of those blessings, right? But we also want to see that as we are blessed and we are given these blessings in Christ, we need to recognize who they're from and in return, honor the one who has blessed us. 
And so that's why we have this big idea for the day. Benefits are not free, so honor the benefactor. Now, if you go back in history, we live, you know, our time here in America, and we live in a pretty blessed time. Um, I remember growing up in, in a house that didn't have air conditioning, and we would, you know, on the, the hottest times of the year, we would sit in front of the swamp cooler. And so we had that at least, and we would just kind of sit there with our hungs, tongues hanging out, you know, just like letting the, the cool air come over us, and that was our relief from the heat. Now it's pretty common, everybody has air conditioning, because that's just part of our culture, our world that we live in. Not everybody, but most. And we live in a time where we've got cars that drive well and uh, have, again, air conditioning when we step into them. You can even start them from your kitchen window, you know, and have, have them all cooled off by the time you get out there or heat it up in the wintertime, right? So we live in that time of period. We have a lot of comfort in our world, but that came on the backs of a lot of hardworking people. And I think we forget that at times. You think about the lives and the people who died to give us the freedom here in our country. You think about those who worked time and time again, hour upon hour, to give us some of the inventions we have that have led us to where we are today. It's amazing. We have physically, as far as you know, going out and doing manual labor, we've got it quite a bit easier than they did 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago. We're blessed to be where we are today but it came at a price. And that's kind of one of the things I want to bring up is we have great blessings, but it comes at a price. Now, I'm going to show you a picture here. And, and as I show you this picture, it's going to be of a person. And I am not, I'm going to say this up front because it's a political person. I am not endorsing or slandering this person. All right, just, just right up front because some of you are going to be like, oh, why is he showing that person in church? Um, and some of you are like, yeah, show that person. I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But... But I'm not endorsing or slandering. It's just a person who has become well-known for talking about benefits. Okay, So you know him as Bernie Sanders, right? And you've seen uh, a lot of his different ideals and posts out there, and, and he would love to make, in a, in a sense, everything free, right? At least that's kind of the way he talks about it, at least free tuition, free health care, and those types of things. And so he really pushes that. And in all honesty, we could probably see those things be free, but are they really free? They come at a cost, right? They come at a cost to somebody. Either it's somebody now or somebody in the future. We know that somewhere somebody has to pay the bills. And that's just the way it works. There's nothing in life that's free, and benefits are not always free. And the benefit that we have in Christ and the benefit we have from God's Word is great that it comes to us, but we have to understand it's not free. It comes at a great price. Even salvation, we talk a lot about it. We talk about grace and how grace is free, but salvation comes at a price. And here's the thing. So, so Bernie Sanders can, can go out there and he can talk about all these things that are free, and it's going to come at the price of somebody, other Americans or whatever it would be, it would come at that price. Jesus Christ and God the Father, they look down and they see the sinful world and they say, okay, there needs to be forgiveness there. There needs to be a sacrifice. And so they come up with a plan, and there's a plan in order for, there to, for people to be, be bought with a price, for people to be forgiven. Okay, and it's going to cost something. It's going to cost a human sacrifice. 
So when God looks around and he looks at, well, who is going to be that human sacrifice? He looks and says, well, the only one who can be that sacrifice is me, himself. And that's the cost. That's the price that was paid. The God of the universe coming in the flesh to be crucified for you and me. It's a big price to pay. And there's only one who could pay it. And that's the king of kings. So think about those things as we move into this psalm and think about the fact that we have received a great benefit, so we therefore need to bless and honor the one who has given us these great benefits. Let's pray and then we'll go into the text. Father, thank you for who you are. You've loved us. You have shown us these great benefits. We read them here in this text and we see them all throughout Scripture. Help us to rely more and more upon you to love you, to honor you, to serve you. I pray, Father, that this day you would be blessed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll take a look at the beginning. We're going to take a look at verses 1 through 2, and then we're going to skip to verse 20, because once again, kind of like we talked about last week, we've got a little bit of a, some, some bookends going on. We've got the beginning and the end, and there's some information in the middle. But the beginning and the end kind of summarize this whole idea of what he's driving at, which is to bless the Lord. So verse 1, it starts out, my soul bless the Lord, and all that is within me bless his holy name. My soul bless the Lord, and do not forget all his benefits. In those two verses, you see the word bless three times. And then you move forward to the end, verses 20 to 22. It says, Bless the Lord, all his angels of, of great strength, who do his word, obedient to his command. Bless the Lord, all his armies, his servants who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all the places where, the, where he rules. My soul, bless the Lord. Seven times in those five verses, you see the word bless. Now, I got to admit, I kind of struggled with the whole concept of bless for many years because I always thought bless or to bless something was someone of, of greater position blessing someone who was in a lower position. And that's often the way I think of it even today. I think, oh, if you're going to bless somebody, you're going to come and you're going to say words over them and, and, and bless them and care for them because maybe they're having a difficulty right now. Maybe they're struggling. Maybe physically they're struggling, something like that. So you, you bless them. Or you give them something, and that's a blessing, right? And then you look at God, and you realize when He blesses us, that's exactly what He's doing. He's given us His grace, His mercy, His, His forgiveness, and those types of things. So it's odd sometimes to read that we are to bless Him. But when you look at this word, and you go back in the Hebrew, it, the word blessing actually has to do with the idea of taking a knee, and so when you see it here, it actually seems like when God blesses us, He's actually taking a knee and serving us. And when we bless Him, we're recognizing Him as the great and awesome God that He is. And we, in turn, bless Him by recognizing Him in that great and awesome position. And so here, that's just simply, I think, what it means when he says, bless the Lord, recognizing God as who he is, as the great God, as the gracious God, as the loving God, as someone who is exalted high above. So, you know, a little over 20 years ago, and I asked Rebecca to, to marry me, I got down on my knee, right, because that's the traditional thing to do. And it's what, kind of like this idea where you, you go and you humble yourself and you say, okay, I'm willing to put myself out there and say, yes, will you 
marry me? Will you spend the rest of your life with me? And then the decision is hers, and she can respond to that. And so then it's given over to her at that point. So it kind of in a sense, that's what's going on here. We bless the Lord. We come before the Lord. We say to Him with our knees bow, God, we, we need You. We love You. We, we are grateful for what You have done for us, and we bless You for it. Okay, so that's, that's the beginning here. Now, as you look at the blessings and how we're to bless Him, we need to honor this benefactor and the one who gives us all these great things. And, and I want to make a couple points about a benefactor, and that's one, all benefits are made available through Christ. Okay? Uh, we move into verses 3, and he talks about more of what we've actually received. We need to understand that he's talking about those who have placed their faith in Christ. Now, there is a benefit for all of creation, and that is the fact that God doesn't just simply wipe us out. Okay? When sin came into the world, he could have said, Adam and Eve, okay, we're done, destroy all creation, it's, it's over. But the Bible tells us that he puts up with us, or he bears with patience, all of us, for a time being. But the benefits he's talking about here are for those who have placed their faith in Christ. John 1.12, it says, But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name. We are called children of God. We are heirs. We are adopted as sons and daughters of God. That's a big deal. So what's true of him is true of us. And, and what has been given to Christ has been given to us because we are children like Christ. It's an amazing thing, and when you really dig into it, you begin to realize, wow, all the things that have been given to Christ, eternal life, to be in heaven, to know God the Father, those have all been given to us as well. Romans 8.16, it says, the Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. Once again, another one where we are talked about as God's children. That's a benefit and helps us see all other benefits. And then the reality, which we talked a little bit about before, but I'll give you a verse for it. All benefits come at a great price. Romans 5, 6 through 8, it says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's, that's just the reality of it. We're sinners, and Christ looks down and says, I'm going to love them, even though they reject me. I'm going to die for them and give my life for them. And that's the great price that was paid so you and I can have eternal life. And that's how we receive these benefits. So here we'll go into the, the rest of the passage. Know your benefits, and we'll just kind of walk through these, hit on them a little bit. But here you can kind of see all four of them spelled out for you. I think they're also um, here on the the handout today, so you can take a look at those under the message, and, and uh, they're written there for you. You are spiritually, physically, and emotionally cared for. Okay, that's one benefit. Then when you get into verses 6 through 12, we'll see that you receive, we receive mercy instead of judgment. Then when you get into verses 13 to 16, we'll see that we receive grace instead of a penalty. And then when we get into verses 17 to 19, we'll see that our future is secure. I think that's really important because as you look at all these other things, we can always have that question, does God really love me? When we make mistakes or those types of things, and we're told that He's already, other places in Scripture, He's already prepared a place for us and that we're going in that direction and we have eternal life. And because we have eternal life now, it can't be taken away because it's already been given to us. 
You have eternal life. So let's take a look at verses 3 through 5. <clears throat> he forgives all your iniquity. Okay, this is um, David writing here. He says, He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. Now, at first you see right there iniquity is more of the spiritual side of things where we need to be forgiven. Iniquity, transgression, sin, they're all really similar words and they basically mean that we're not with God. We're not connected with God. We've been separated, pulled apart. We have this break between us and God, right? So he forgives all of that so we can be reunited with God. And then he goes on, he says, he heals all your diseases. Now, there's some questions there because some of you are like, well, I have faith in Jesus and I still have a disease, right? What does that mean? Those are difficult ones because you got to kind of go, well, you know, maybe what it means is... And so there's really a couple different options, I think. One is uh, some people do get healed from diseases by faith. They pray, and for whatever reason, God will at that point miraculously, or through providence, maybe taking them to certain doctors and so forth, heal them. There are some who will get the help they need to help or to, to work through those diseases. And some, honestly, will not have the relief until eternal life where they go into glorification. That's the most simple answer I can give you. And that's not always the fun one. In fact, a lot of people don't like that. What do you mean I have to die and go to heaven before he heals my disease? Um, In some cases, that seems to be the way it is. But here's the biggest thing, and I think maybe that's what he's talking about here, is diseases don't keep you from knowing, loving, and serving God. And so on a spiritual side, that's the significance. We can't go, well, I have this disease, I can't serve God. God doesn't reject people because they have diseases, right? He still loves, He still cares, He still died for them. And that's the significance that Scripture talks about. We're not rejected because of a disease or because we're a certain um, age or height or race or any of those types of things. Right? We are accepted by Him. He then goes on, verse 4, He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. So redeeming your life is, is still that kind of idea of a spiritual uh, renewal there. He, he, he brings you back into a right relationship with God. And then He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. And I think here we move more into kind of this emotional side. There's something we talk a lot about in... In, in God's Word, and we talk about the spiritual impact that we have in, in having a life in Christ. But there's a part of us, too. We have the physical side of us, and we pray a lot for people, you know, when they're hurting and that sort of thing. Uh, you can be praying, Eric Gentry is going into surgery tomorrow. Uh, many of you have known he has had a bad back. You can be praying for him because he's going to be going in and hopefully cleaning up and getting his back feeling better. That's the physical part, but there's also an emotional part to us. You guys ever struggle emotionally? We don't talk about that much, right? But there's faithful love and there's compassion in Christ. He goes on in verse 5, he says, He satisfies you with good things. Now, that's not always the things you want, but it's the things he knows we need that he satisfies us with. And then he goes, your youth, moves on, your youth is renewed like the eagle, like an eagle that soars and is beautiful up in the air, and you wish, man, I had that kind of energy. He says, here, here you go. I will renew you if you stay with me and in my word and those types of things. 
He satisfies you. So there's an emotional piece to this where God takes care of us, but we have to go to Him. A few weeks ago, we talked about lamenting, and lamenting is, is trusting God or crying out to God and trusting Him with those results. So that, that type of idea where we, we come before Him, God, I don't understand why this is happening. It hurts. I don't like it, but I still trust you. There's that emotional side, and God takes care of us emotionally. Well, moving on to verse 6, we hit this part where he t- starts to talk about mercy. So verse 6 starts off, the Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He takes care of those uh, who are being, take, you know, being taken advantage of here on the earth and so forth. He is a righteous judge. Verse 7, he revealed his ways to Moses. Going back to Israel, you can see about how he told Moses, hey, if Israel follows me, I will be a God who walks with them. If they reject me, then I will be a God who disciplines them. His deeds to the people of Israel. So the Lord is compassionate and gracious. And we see that again in the Old Testament over and over again. We see it again in the New Testament. He's slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. If you know the story of Jonah, he goes out to Nineveh and he tells them to repent And Jonah's not happy with it. Jonah didn't want the nation uh, of uh, Nineveh, the city of Nineveh, to repent. And so then he goes out and complains to God. And he says, God, I know that you are a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love. He quotes this psalm. And it's very common for us, right? We love this idea for us. But when God starts applying it to other people, we're like, I don't know, God. I don't think you should be so gracious and loving and compassionate over there. Right? Right? But he is, he's compassionate, he's gracious, and he's slow to anger, and he's abounding in faithful love, and he will not always accuse us or be forever angry with us. He's merciful. Verse 10, he has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. Again, that idea of sin and transgression and so forth where we're separated from God and we do our own thing. He says he won't repay us for those. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, and many of you may have known this verse, didn't know maybe where it exists in the Bible, but here it is. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us, our sins from us. They are taken away as far as the east is from the west. In other words, they just are pushed out and are not brought back upon us. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love keeps no records of wrongs, and God is a master at that. We are not, right? But God is a master of it. As far as the east is from the west, he removed our transgressions from us. So you see we have mercy instead of judgment. And I think that's really important for us to remind ourselves of all the time. This is a great benefit to being in Christ. We will beat ourselves up, we will see our sins, we will remember our sins, we will remember our faults, and we will, without a doubt, be hard on ourselves, or other people may be hard on us for us. But God is merciful and forgives us. Verse 11 brings in an element here that I think is really important, and he says, His love is good, is faithful towards those who fear Him. There is an element to this where we live in a fear of God, but it's a, it's a righteous fear. It's not the kind of fear where I'm afraid God's going to be unjust towards me. It's a fear that if I do something that is disobedient, I fear God's discipline. 
I ought to fear His discipline. If I choose to do something that is wrong, and there ought to be that question when I'm going to make decisions, and I'm, I'm going to ask that question, okay, God, if this is the wrong decision, if I'm doing something I know is against Your Word, there's probably going to be a consequence to it. Because God disciplines those He loves. And it ought to help us understand that when we come to major decisions, or any decision for that matter, anything that we know God's Word tells us not to do, we ought to move forward in great fear. It's just like when I was growing up and with my dad, and I never doubted my dad loved me. But I did know if I got out of line, there was a consequence. And he did that because he loved me. That relationship is much like our relationship with God. He is gracious. He's compassionate towards us. And I have never doubted that he would not forgive me of my sins. But I have also lived in a way that says, if I get out of line, he's going to discipline me. There are consequences to it. He's not going to take my salvation away. But he's going to help me get back on the right path. Well, moving into the next section, we get into grace. So mercy and grace, if you're not sure kind of how to, how to divide those two and understand those two, mercy is God withholding punishment from us. So we deserve to be punished, and God says, I'm going to show mercy towards you, and I'm not going to punish you. Grace, on the other hand, is giving to us what we don't deserve. So grace is giving to us forgiveness. Grace is giving to us eternal life. We don't deserve those things. But God is gracious and gives those things anyhow. So look at verses 13 to 16. It says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. I guess it's not moving for you guys. It always seems to right about this time of the day. I'm not sure why. Go haywire on me. Can you go to verse, yeah, verse 13 there? Okay, as far as, or as the father has compassion on his children... Totally went off there. Uh, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him, for He knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. I'm going to go ahead and move forward here. Go back the way it probably should just always be old school, right? Except for if I was really old school, I'd have scrolls up here in Greek. So, um. verse. 14, for he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field. And when the wind passes over it, it vanishes, and its place is, is, no, is no longer known. We've received this grace instead of mercy. Um, when you look at who we are in light of who God is, who are we? We're nothing more than dust that God formed into mankind. That's what, that's what David is pointing out here when he says, that's, that's who we are. Verse 14, for he knows who we are. He knows what we're made of, remembering that we are, are simply dust. Who are we in light of God other than people he created to be great and wonderful and, and help rule the earth? And then we rejected him and went our own way. In fact, if you go forward into Ephesians chapter 2, you can go ahead and bring that up. This is what it has to say, verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according 
to the ways of this world, according to the rule of the power of the air, the spirit not working in the disobedience. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. God did not have to offer us eternal life. But because he's gracious, he did. And that's, that's what you see here in recognizing who we are, that we are here today, gone tomorrow. We do not have power before God. We cannot come to God and say, God, you must do this and declare that he forgive us. It is simply by grace that we have been given this awesome relationship with him. Now, the last one, verses 17 to 19. But from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is toward those who fear him. Again, that whole idea of fearing God. Again, we fear the fact that he disciplines those he loves. And his righteousness towards the grandchildren. Now, there's a, an interesting word there, and, uh, and I think it's good to point out, and probably, I really like this translation. This word probably wouldn't be the word I would choose to put in here. Grandchildren, it's more the idea of generation to generation. And I think it does... Dis- it deserves a little bit of explanation here. Because sometimes when you read how in the Old Testament the sins will be visited upon generations in the future, you might think to yourself, you know, that just doesn't seem very fair. But I think in observation, what you do see is this principle, and it's like a snowball effect. When you have a snowball, it starts at the top, and while it gets to the bottom of the hill, it continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, that snowball effect happens with sin as well. And when you have one generation who chooses to sin and fall away from God, it has an effect for the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And I think that's the idea he has here when he talks about righteousness also towards the grandchildren. So the opposite is true. So if the sin passes from generation to generation and it has that snowball effect, faith can and righteousness can as well. For those who love God and fear God and serve God and pass it on the generation, hopefully the next generation will build and be stronger. Well, that's, that's the hope and the goal. It doesn't always happen that way. Today we live in a generation, what do we see? We're, we're seeing a lot of things come to the surface and a lot, of, a lot of heartache, a lot of hard times here in America. One of the things that we see, I think, is kind of that snowball effect, and you see it in, in our next generation, is America has done really well at being successful and independent and being very individualistic. In our next generation, you see it with the increase in suicide, but the next generation is growing up saying, well, I need to be successful, even more successful, because that's the pressure that's been put on us. So, of course, with that, when people find out that they can't be that successful, suicide rate has gone through the roof. Uh, Sexual immorality was, you know, starting to grow, and and now you can see how it's escalated. Uh, the, the drug and alcohol use, you know, has always kind of been there to some extent, but it's grown, and now you see it multiplied, and it's snowballed into this huge, massive issue today. That's sin just continuing to grow and snowball, and hopefully, and it doesn't mean it has to, hopefully it can be stopped, but it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to be hard. So anyhow, that was, that's kind of a side note. Spent a little too much time maybe on that. But verse 18, uh, he goes on, he says, of those, 
who keep his covenant, who remember to observe his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. There is eternal life for those who are faithful, for those who fear him. There is righteousness to be passed down to generation to generation. God has a future for those who remember him and pass it on. I think that's really important for us. He's established his, his throne. We know it's there. We know it's not going to be taken away. He is king of kings. He is lord of lords. There's no one who can stand up against him. We know it's assured. We know that it's there, and we have faith in it. His kingdom rules. So those are the benefits that we have, spiritually, physically, and emotionally cared for. We've received mercy instead of judgment. We've received grace instead of the penalty in our future is then secured. Benefits are not free. We've talked about that. Therefore, we honor and worship the benefactor, which is Jesus Christ. So as you think about it, and you think about your response, and I'm thinking about my response to this, I want to take a look at what we've received and ask some some questions and be challenged to respond, first of all, in this way. In the next three days, I'm not going to say this week, the next three days, so it's hopefully fresh in your mind, list five benefits you have received from Christ and make sure you thank Him. Honor him with it. Now, we've just talked about some. You can say salvation. Okay? You can say the things that he's given to you and, and list those things. Make five, list, at least five. It shouldn't be that hard to do five. List five and make sure you thank him for those things. And then two, reflect on this. Do I spend more time asking for benefits from God or thanking him for what I have already received? And uh, if you're like, I don't like that question. Well, I don't like it either. (laughs) All right? Because I know probably the answer is I think I spend more time asking for more things when God's already given us so much. So take a, a couple minutes and think about those things and reflect upon them. If you have questions, we have our our cards. You can write a question on there. If you'd like to talk more about this, then just put a note on there, and I'll try to follow up with you this week, and I'll be praying for you. But uh, think about those things and how you 